0: This is Basket Case Clubs, CPR Group's podcast where we turn Basket Case Clubs into Showcase Clubs. Clubs. Hello everyone and welcome to Basket Case Clubs. I'm Michael Connolly and I will be your host for this episode where we continue our discussion about clubs and what they can do to do better marketing. Joining me as usual is my brother and partner in basket, Casey Goodness, Steve Connolly. G'day, Steve. How are you doing today? Hello. I want to share an insight with everybody. Uh, what you all can't <laughs> see is Michael's face before we start recording and everything's normal. You know, we're just having a good old chat. And then as soon as it comes time to hit record and actually start to capture this stuff so that you can listen to us, uh, he gets really, really happy. He gets a big <laughs> smile on his face. Uh, And he gets ready to share his stories and insights from many, many years of dealing with basket case clubs. So uh, (laughs) for those of you who know, Michael, that he's got a big, happy, smiling face most of the time, Um, but he's even happier when he knows he's talking to you. (laughs) Behind the baskets. Yeah. (laughs) We need need to take outtakes real. No, it'd be longer than the episode, Steve. (laughs) We've joked about that in the past, (laughs) I'm sure. Yes. Uh, Yeah, we'll do a season wrap. No, we won't. No, I would not put Jess through that. (laughs) (laughs) So more marketing we're talking today. I'm very excited. Yeah, so last time we talked specifically about the marketing that clubs typically don't do when it comes to what they, how they're trying to make more money from their canteen. We started there because it's not core business. Core business for a sports club is, as you can imagine, sport. It's, it's why we exist. It's what we're there to sell primarily. But clubs often don't see the opportunities that they've got outside that area of core business. But now we're going to get back into core business and talk about marketing for getting more members. But there's a bit in this. And if you just have what is typical, and we'll talk about this in an upcoming episode, if, you, if, if what is typical when it comes to digital marketing is a shoot from the hip type approach to marketing. You don't know where you're going to get. And I'm often reminded I use this quote pretty regularly. I, I think it was when Alice turned up in front of the Cheshire Cat in Alice's Wonderful Adventures in Wonderland. And she says to the Cheshire Cat, uh, can you tell me where I should turn from here? The Cheshire Cat, with its big grin, probably not unlike my basket case podcasts <laughs> grin, says, well, where are you trying to get to, darling? And she says, I, I don't know. And he says, well, it doesn't very much matter which way you turn from here, does it? <laughs> so you've got to have a clear understanding of what you actually need to get out of your marketing. And so that's where I want to start today and to start to, to talk about what. How do you how do you work that out? how do you work out the best way to understand what do we need to get out of our marketing before we go and create a whole heap of marketing tactics and strategies? Mm, so this- the, Just quickly the uh, shoot from the hip comment that you made I, I, and particularly in the digital marketing realm, I remember, you know, feels like a year ago, it was probably a decade or more um, when organizations were really starting to take up the use of social media for marketing for members for volunteers you know more broadly or not actually to be more honest not really knowing what they were hoping to achieve but just seeing other organizations making use of social media and doing a good job on this platform or that and thinking oh we've got to get on everything so we just need to go and you know set up this platform uh, uh, an account on this platform and a profile on that platform because if we don't do that we're not going to keep up and that led to some really poorly spent time and I'm, I'm assuming in a lot of cases um you know not hitting the mark with the marketing messages mm. and achieving outcomes that were of value for the organizations but also sadly a lot of waste of time a waste of time and bad messaging because what's left on those platforms where they're inactive how good do they look now they're yeah how open, often do we, we go and have a look at a social media um, profile or uh, you know the the digital presence of an organization before we meet with them and you see posts that are the most recent from four or five years ago and they've obviously been forgotten maybe the login details weren't weren't handed over from one person to the next and it presents a pretty crappy image of that organization and its ability to keep in touch with its customer base yep yep anyway we're not talking about today but we will soon yes yes yeah yeah so let's just we'll, we'll come back to the definition of marketing when we're talking about all of that sort of stuff but today I just want to touch on branding as well before we before we get into it because branding is really well connected to your why why we exist and it's important that therefore before you start you have a really clear understanding of who we are. So a question that I love to ask is what sort of a club are you? When I ask that and just throw it out to a group in say, a planning session it, I, it, they they all think that their answer is going to be shared by everyone else in the room, and somebody say, "Yeah, we're a community club." And somebody else will look at them like they've just like they've got two heads, and say, well, "No, we're not. We're a competitive club. Everyone loves coming here to win." And somebody else says, "No, no, they don't. People come here because they love us." And immediately it generates an understanding of, "Hey, we're not all on the same page." There's an old Chinese proverb, "Sleeping in the same bed, dreaming different dreams," and that's what happens so often. So you have to be really clear about yourself before you start to, so that you can pitch it to the world in a consistent manner. Mm. There's a story that I came up with that I was just thinking about it the other day. Apple doesn't have a hotel, but if Apple had a hotel, you'd know exactly what it would be like. Don't you? Yeah. I can be So for those not watching. I can see Steve eyes go, Holy crap. I want to stay there. (laughs) (laughs) How much will it cost you? I don't care. (laughs) It'll cost you a shitload, but it'll be nice. It'll be clean. It'll be spacious. So that means that that, that's the brand. The logo on the back of my expensive phone is a logo. It's not a brand. The brand is bigger than that. Mm. So just as a note, have a logo. If you don't have a logo, then get one, but make it say something about you. Don't just make it wishy-washy that people won't look at it and understand what you're like. Don't spend too much time on it. But when you when you think you've got it right, obviously don't make it too complex. You know, you see some of those logos that like a hand-drawn picture of a wolf or a tiger or a leopard or a panther by some seven-year-old in the 1980s. <laughs> They're probably time for an upgrade. If it hey, have it. a logo so good that people want to rip it off. I was only this morning listening to a podcast where there was a discussion about the yin and the yang. Uh, a symbol you know with the yep. black on one side the white on the other side but then there's a little bit of each in the other yep. side and and it looks like it's actually in motion and the um you know so it presents very well this idea of uh, order and chaos or yin and yang but it, it's been used by you know at least one surf brand and uh, and and <laughs> and it's 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 become so prolific that people have, have got tattoos on and on themselves of that logo and um mm. i think that that's a really good example of a logo that is very well recognized um but but applies in a different way to a whole uh, uh, applies in different ways to different people and for that reason one of the people on the podcast said yeah it's quite sad that that logo has ended up on the wall of so many stoners <laughs> <laughs> do they even know what it means <laughs> so anyway you have a logo so good that people uh, straight it. stoned yeah. <laughs> <laughs> anyway i don't know i don't know so to just to recap, something that we did mention last time: not for profit does not mean no profit. There you go, Ethan. I said it again. You've got so don't take an approach to marketing that means oh we don't really have to do anything, or don't just think that think that you don't have to. Don't just think that mm. your brand is already so. It permeated into your community that people are just going to turn up the if we build it they will come mentality doesn't work because not only are we competing with other football clubs other sporting clubs other f- forms of physical activity we're also competing now particularly post-covid with you know what i'm just gonna stay at home and Do bum around thing. all day yeah. yeah so the need to go and, and take a really business-like approach in creating a brand and getting that brand into the community is it's always been important, but it's probably more important now than ever. And I, I think it's only going to keep getting more and more important as competition for people's attention and people's time keeps mm. going up. So now let's get into really what we're selling. We talked last time about understanding the business units. We're talking now about the membership business unit. So it's the primary one, but divide it out. So as we said, this is why I wanted to start with canteen marketings first, because you can see, Oh, that's actually something that's separate. We'll t- we can talk about sponsorship, we can talk about merchandise and, and have different approaches to our marketing for everything, but everything that we're about to talk about now really does exist in all of the, in, in everything that we're going to talk about. So that's why it's important to understand what you're selling and who you're selling it to so i want to introduce you steve To and i don't know if you and i have discussed this in any great level of detail but it's sport being exclusive so in a world where every grand apple and i know you're doing a fair bit of funding work with some some bigger organizations at the moment everywhere you can you're trying to make sure that what you're building is inclusive and demonstrates inclusivity yes and you've done a whole heap of work recently on cultural diversity and mm. making sure that we have uh, we have a good understanding of things like gender identity of sexuality and that when and uh, inclusive from a dis- from a disability perspective so that when we're making sure that we're providing opportunities without discrimination for as many people as we can now and in the world of sport this is becoming more and more prevalent we're talking about this idea Mm. of inclusivity more uh, both at the grassroots but also right up to the elite level where there's been some you know recent high profile cases of um uh, of of gender transition and and you know in in which competition people are going to be participating in so so we're fortunate that we live in a time when we are having these discussions very openly and things are changing um but you're right all of that is focused on inclusivity rather than exclusivity yeah Uh, yeah but are we we talk mm, about it, yeah, but then how does it flow? And we're not, no, we're absolutely not. How, yeah. how well are clubs really doing? In Queensland a few years ago, sorry to digress a minute, we had a funding program that provided funding for clubs to build facilities to increase female participation in sports. So it was called the Female Facilities Fund. Now, how many... misogynistic bloody clubs do you think had discussions in change rooms oh wait this is we can say that we're going to build four change rooms so we can have sheilas come and play here and then we'll just put the first team in there and the sheilas can have the shitty old ones that we got I know that that shit happened and it was just awful that it happened. So I I hope that they've all been called out and we did a lot of work with the government at the time to not only to say, Hey, this is how you activate those spaces, but this is how you actually get the benefit from those spaces that was intended, which is increasing in a sustainable and long-term fashion, female participation in sport, particularly where it is low. So anyway, look, sorry for the digression back to inclusivity versus exclusivity. So when we're all trying to be inclusive, We try and avoid the fact that we are exclusive. Now, here I'm not talking about the fact that if you want to be an Olympic level equestrian, you're probably not going to be able to make it if your family doesn't have enough money to buy a horse, a float, feed, farriers fees, somewhere to ride, expensive lessons. Oh, and by the way, the Chevy Silverado to be able to tow it (laughs) Mm. and look super cool. You're not going to be uh, a champion surfer if you're growing up in Cunnamulla. (laughs) So there are levels. If you can't afford to pay a shit ton of money for tennis fees, you're probably not going to make it to world number one because it is expensive to get there. But that's not the type of exclusivity I'm talking about. That does exist. And we're going to have to deal with that. And that does mean that when you've got people who are progressing in a sport that maybe we do have to uproot our entire family and go and follow their dreams because we believe in them so much. And it's not necessarily that they're going to make it to world number one, but we want to give our kids the best opportunities that we possibly can. So this is kind of difficult for some people to hear, but what we offer is not for everyone. Not everyone loves rugby league. Therefore not everyone religiously watches all three state of origin matches. There are people who hate rugby league, who will hmm. deliberately leave the TV turned off and go and read a book that night. There are people who hate sport and they would rather that councils go and invest all of their money in new libraries. Oh, but how will that keep kids off the street? Ask somebody, ask a bookworm that because they'll be in the library taking part in all of the wonderful activities of cultural development and, and academia that exists in libraries. and so And they'll love that. So sport and your sport is not for everyone. And that's a massive mistake that people make when it comes to marketing. They try and get their messages out in front of everybody. Everybody. So who are you marketing to? Everyone who has an email address, really? <laughs> I bet that the vast majority of those people who have email addresses don't give a shit about what you're selling. And some of them are gonna get really pissed off that you sent them an email. <laughs> Yeah. What comes to mind is the market segmentation work that was done by uh, the Australian government a number of years ago now. And I think it was a big wake up call to a lot of people in sport when, you know, uh, I think they were dubbed the sport atheists. Uh, So the, the people who, you know, were never interested in sport growing up, they were into reading books or they were into art or crafts or other activities. So they can still, uh participate in their chosen pastime or hobby with other people with a shared interest mm. and but they are going to be involved in organizations which are very different from sporting organizations they'll have their similarities there will still be basket case organizations out there in yeah. the non-world sport but uh, this is i think a really important point that you're bringing up that the sport isn't for everybody and, and within that a particular sport is not necessarily going to appeal to all people so and 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 this i I think you know you're codifying very clearly an issue that people in sporting organizations and other clubs struggle with because they're involved and even that example that you gave earlier of why does your organization exist and people in the same room from the same club giving quite different Mm -hmm. answers identifies that that just why you know why you got involved is not necessarily the same reason why other people got involved and therefore you probably need to think long and hard about what messages you're going to use to attract other people to the organization because if you just focus on what attracted you that might not be the crux of what gets other people in yep absolutely so here's a couple of just while i'm thinking about it uh, an orchestra is not for somebody who plays death metal on electric guitar <laughs> so they're not going to go and join the community orchestra, and neither is the principal oboist going to go and join the death the death metal band. They have different interests, and guess what? That's okay. But it, it could also be age related. That so could by- be really, really cool. However, <laughs> yeah, well, remember SM, the Symphony and Metallica album? Oh uh, yeah, you yeah. Probably don't. It was a bit cheesy. As coming from a museo, it was a bit cheesy, and I have heard better. Dream Theater did one as well, and it was far, far better. But it's not going down that hole. <laughs> <hard it was. laughs> oh. So the thing is that you've got to understand that it's okay to be exclusive. When you're using that way of thinking, it's mm. perfectly okay to do it. Because when you create that picture of who this is for, yep. you're also creating a picture of who it's not for. And it's okay that some people don't give a shit about you let them go they're not for you they're not your next target customer so don't let waste them go time. don't waste, so time, don't on waste time on them exactly let them go which is perfectly okay so who is it for is a really powerful question we is so once we and you you've got to have that clarity around our own purpose first because then it makes it really clear to say okay this is for people like us <laughs> mm. sometimes called in marketing speak our tribe so how well can we define people like us how clear a picture can you paint of the ideal future member or the ideal existing member and the ideal future member so when you get into it and be- this is before we're thinking about what we're going to do or how we're going to engage with them because we're trying to get some we're trying to get some clarity around both qualitative and quantitative who we need so what are they like and how many of them do we need so what are they like how old are they if it is an age range, don't just, okay, sure, we have people who are five or six playing with us and we have some over 35s, over 45s. But if you go into this exercise, particularly as a starting point, if you go into this exercise and say, well, we're for everyone, we're for everyone, boys and girls, males and females, people with disabilities, people from all backgrounds, people of all abilities from the age of five until the age of 95. Or because we're inclusive. Because <laughs> we're inclusive. How do you market to that? Where do you you start? And this might not be where you continue, but it needs to be where you start. Sometimes in marketing, it's called niching down. Find the smallest niche that you possibly can that will give you enough people to reach critical mass, to understand what's the critical number of members that we need to be sustainable. Obviously, we'll get into pricing in the future future as well. But we're starting to, to create that really picture. So how old are they? Where do they live? And, okay, you might have people who drive past lots of other clubs to get to your club because they love you, but your ideal person. Where do they live? Are they close or are they far? It's probably likely they'll be closer than further. (laughs) So Mm. be as specific as you can. What do they like? And then what don't they like? So the people who like us, if we are, say, a rugby league club, might not be the sort of people who like Australian rules football so and and that's okay and it's again we've it feels like i'm speaking taboo here but you need to get exclusive you need to define right down to what the person what this person looks like in as fine detail as you can where do they spend their time how do they spend their time what do you know about their friends and families is this something that could be informed by engagement with current members do you think definitely yeah definitely But not by survey, because we've all had survey fatigue. So as we've said before, get out of the canteen, wherever your safe space is where you you prefer to procrastinate with your time and go and engage with them and find out about them. And take the easy path. You pick the low-hanging fruit. Pick the people who are the rusted-on people who love you. And therefore, you could probably, Steve, start with the rest of the people sitting around the table at the committee meeting. Yeah. What do they think? What are they like? What are their families like? Yeah. I think importantly... To cast that net a little broader as you're saying because so often when we're you know um working with an organization through a retreat, st- i'm going to start that again <laughs> a strategic a plan strategic, <laughs> yes uh th- this <laughs> that's what happens when i get distracted by a bird sitting on the uh <laughs> handrail outside my window um yeah. oh, look, it reminded yeah. was it the simpsons movie where homer they zoom in on homer's head and there's a little monkey with the yeah. <laughs> yeah that's what's going on in steve's head right now <laughs> oh, not much else uh when we're working with an organization through a strategic planning process the discussion is often quite fruitful when it involves only the committee but then when they start to engage with the broader membership of their organization have some planning sessions Go and meet on the sideline or on the side of the court with people to talk about you know what it is that attracted them to the organization and what ideas they've got for the future in every instance where that broader consultation happens ideas come out that wouldn't have otherwise come out ideas you know that the committee because they're often so focused on the, the busy today work that puts people on the field or the court it's difficult to think a little more broadly or to be a bit more critical about what's happening today. So I really like the idea of, as you say, get out of the canteen or your other safe space and go and talk with people in your organization, find out, you know, what their profile is in some of the, in response to some of these questions that you're asking so that you can then hopefully guide your marketing efforts. Yeah. And, and it's, it's okay for it to be, tricky because you're trying to ask them about feelings yep feelings are hard to put into words because they're feelings so what does it feel like and when we're talking about culture through some of those planning processes the question that i like to ask is what do you want it to feel like to Mm. be a part of this club and then they start to define those warm and fuzzy feelings and it's when you drill into those that you're starting to paint this really clear picture the clearer the picture The more targeted you're marketing the more targeted you're marketing the more likely you are to be effective in the marketing as well so it's more likely to achieve what it is that you're setting out to achieve Mm. so the next question then once you've painted that picture is what do those people not you not you what do those people want to get out of their involvement with your organization how will being connected to you allow them to get what they want again this is a feeling often a feeling thing as well because you might be saying well we're going to give you 26 weeks of training of a a, a season and in that you're going to get at least 18 games plus maybe some finals if you're lucky and each of those weeks is going to have a couple of touch points for training plus one touch point home and away game. that's 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 the stuff that's the things and stuff that's not what we're talking about how do what do they want to feel out of that's what you're going to give them but what are they what do they want to feel out of getting that from you, I think starting the discussion with why you exist, uh, as you mentioned earlier, is a really important way to begin getting a bit emotive when you think mm-hmm. about your organization and, and thinking about the purpose of the organization. It's not the the what we do or the how we do it; it's why we exist. And mm. you know, I know when we were introduced to this concept some time ago now. When, when we were asked, why do we exist as an organization? It took us about six months to work yep. out why we exist. So it's okay yep. if that discussion takes time and it's difficult to not focus on the what and the how. Mm. Um, but I think starting there and, and really using some emotive language because you know we're emotional beings as humans and we make decisions based on emotion and then justify them to our better half with logic. <laughs> uh, so I really needed that guitar, darling. <laughs> I don't have one that color. Well, not exactly that tinge of that particular (laughs) colour. For those of you who don't know, Michael doesn't even know how many guitars he has hanging on his walls around his house. Oh, no, the walls I can count. It's the ones that are in cases that hide. (laughs) Out of sight, out of mind. (laughs) Gee, I'm glad my wife doesn't listen to this. (laughs) She's going to get a text saying, make sure you listen to Basket Case Club's episode, whatever this one ends up being. (laughs) Uh, anyway so once we've got that yes you're absolutely right starting with that why p- creates that picture and i love that question what sort of a club are we because it, it really helps people break down the barriers to having the discussion get yeah. into it have the discussion once we've got that we've got our why we understand why we exist we've then got a really clear picture of our ideal customer where they are what they like what better about their family and what they want from just being quickly i really like the language that you're using in calling them customers. Oh, because yes. As, as soon as you refer to a, a member or a prospective member as a customer, then it instantly changes the way that you think about them. Yeah. Because you want your need in business to meet your customers' demands and wants and needs. So yeah. if you think about your members in that way, you're far more likely to be thinking about what drives them to your organization. And when, as you were just saying you know, what they want to get out of your organization and and how they want it to feel. Yep. Yep. So now it comes time to get a bit quantitative. Let's do some maths. And I love this exercise. So there's four steps to this one. Step one is to write down how many members you've got. And I love how often people go "Uh, about uh, around approximately a little over, hang on a minute. If you have a look at your constitution in every state territory in Australia, There's a part in there that talks about your register of members and how it must be kept and how it must include every member of every class. Therefore, you do know how many members you've got. Go and look at the bloody register. So just write down the number. Let's not get too technical about this and say, well, we've got 17 life members and we've got uh, 612 junior playing members and then we've got uh, 1,872 non-playing members, including social members. But forget about that. What's the number? And... Let's talk about the ideal customer. So, if we're talking about playing members here, what's the number of playing members we've got? Let's just start there. Number two, or step two, then, is to think about what limiting factors you've got. So, I'm pretty sure that every single sports club across the nation, possibly even across the world, has some limitation to how many playing members they can accommodate. This is actually a fairly easy exercise for sport because for most of us, it's just space. And if it's not space, it's time on that space. So if we're hiring a space and it's a, it's a shared use type space, then it's our time is a limitation. What have you got and what are the limiting factors that that brings in? So apart from that, you can start to get, so those are the, the hard limitations. So we only have X number of hours per week access to facilities obviously you then need to take into consideration how many rain days you're going to get or anything else that can stop so when if we're a gymnastics club that uses a pavilion at the showgrounds we can't be there when the show's on we get bumped out for the show so those are physical limitations that put a limit on how 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 many members we can accommodate but it can also be a bit softer so there can be some people-based limitations as well. To continue with the gymnastics example, gymnastics coaches are fairly rare because it's a very specific skill. And ideally, a gymnastics club would like to have gymnastics coaches who have some experience. So you can't just go and plant that, and boom, there it goes, it's magic. List those things. What are our limitations? Again, don't overthink, just get some, some stuff written down. Step three then, is to think about those limitations and take them into consideration to work out what is the theoretical maximum number of participating members that you could have don't cheat here often when I do this exercise in large groups. The majority of people get it but then some people try and cheat the system and they say well no these are the people who say no 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 we can our only limitation is everyone who has an email address so there are some people in the world who don't have an email address and therefore we can, that's that's cheating because you're not actually getting any you're not able to niche down using that information mm. so once you've once you've done that you've worked out for instance you've got a number of members per field based on the number of fields you've got just do the maths Step number four, then, is what's the difference between what we've got and what our theoretical maximum is? So I'll give you an example here that's probably seems a bit generous, but an example might be a very big football club that has five fields. Now, to have five fields as a football club is certainly a luxury, but if we've got five fields and, and this club currently has a thousand members. So if they've got a thousand members, and then we do the maths, and we say, well, the a, a commonly accepted field capacity of members per field number, taking into consideration downtime, uh, maintenance, the, how many touch points you've got, the differences between senior training and junior training, senior games and junior games, the fact that training typically does more impact on a field than games, taking all of that into consideration, just rounding it, rule of thumb. 220 members per field is a reasonable number, a reasonable assumption. Therefore, if we've got a 1,000 members and five fields, our theoretical maximum is 220 times five. I'm not that good at maths, but I can probably do this one and get to the number 1,100. 1,100 minus the 1,000 we've got equals 100. So our marketing target has maybe shrunk from the 240,000 people that live in our LGA, because we're a big club, we're probably gonna attract people from the whole LGA. So there you go, there's the geographical area. That's where our people live. It's shrunk from 250,000, if that's the number I picked, down to 100. So 100 is a percentage of 250,000 is what, 0.04% or something. So that's that's statistically nobody yeah so instead of trying I think to the divide, statistical term is bugger all bugger all yes the australian statistical term yes <laughs> i wonder if the australian bureau of statistics has yeah that's just nothing yeah that's shit all mate <laughs> oh shit loads shit tons <laughs> bugger all sfa <laughs> i'd don't. That'd be far well connected if they did Far <laughs> better I, connected i hope not <laughs> Can you imagine that in one of our business case reports? We're doing a cost-benefit analysis of the benefit and how many people are going to be? Yeah, a few. Couple Yeah. (laughs) However, if we do this, it'll attract shitloads. (laughs) Shitloads, yeah. Right. So doing that episode, sorry, doing that episode, doing that exercise helps you understand that it's not everyone. It's not 240,000 people that we need to develop a marketing strategy to Target. Mm-hmm. We need to find the 100 people that fit our persona. The right 100 people. The right 100 people. Now you can start to think okay, so we know these 100 people. Where do they hang out? If we are a rugby club and we're a rugby club that is one of those types of clubs that prides itself on on field performance, maybe these people are hanging out in the car parks of the elite private schools. So maybe that's the way to go and find them. So once you've narrowed it down, we're not doing a shit. That's not me. creepy at all. <laughs> Drive into the car park of the public school, or the, the elite private schools with your black van and start giving out flyers. It's bound to go well for you. Oh, maybe we should give out lollies at the same time. No. <laughs> uh, but, how, okay, to, to, just to bring this back into actually proper advice. <laughs> Maybe we should think about marketing to those schools, marketing to those people, attending events of those yep. schools to host displays. I'm spitballing now, Steve. Yep. But straight away, I'm, I'm starting to think much more specifically about getting in front of the right people, not trying to get in front of everyone. Because trying Targeting to get in front message. of everyone is... Yes, exactly. So let's now bring this all back together and say, once we've got the clear picture of who we are, that and, and what we believe and our big why... So what would our hotel look like mm-hmm. if you like once we've got that picture we then know the sorts of people that would want to stay in our hotel because they're the sorts of people that would want to be connected to us and that means that we might not need to do the biggest TikTok campaign where we're paying influencers shit tons of money to go and do something that might not get in front of the right people who are those right, who are those right people and where are they already there's another, it might be another Chinese proverb. I don't know, remember where this one comes from. But the question, what's the easiest direction to ride a horse? And the answer is the direction it's already going. So if, you, uh, if you've already got people hanging out in a particular place, mm. go there. Go and get those, find those people from there. So to finish off then, I'd like to, Steve, you know about this, but I'd like to introduce the concept of Jeffrey Moore's technology innovation adoption life cycle so the bell curve where he talks about the chasm so in there we've got the innovators at the really pointy left end of the bell curve and then we've got the early adopters then he talks about there being a a yawning chasm before you get into the mainstream market so the early majority the late majority and then the laggards what i love about that is that it has a really interesting analogy to what happens in in the community sector so yeah definitely sport but it's across the community sector but the important thing to realize here is that once we realize, so for, if we're selling iPhones, we absolutely need the mass market to join in. If we're trying to work out who's going to win, VHS or beta, we absolutely need the mass market to buy in. And the one that ends up winning, VHS, Blu ray instead of HD, DVD, they are the ones that is the product that captured the early majority first so they mm. cross that chasm from the in, the innovators the people who love being new that i don't give a shit that this thing doesn't work i love it that it's new and nobody else has got one and they'll try the, all of those new things yeah the early adopters then yeah the, the, the innovators are the people who have a ps4 and a, a xbox one or mm. <laughs> well, whatever the latest versions and a wee <laughs> and what's the nintendo one the switch so they can play on the plane as well so they've no, Nintendo was a wee too, wasn't it? Anyway, the obviously <laughs> great marketing from their perspective. So, but in sport, when we realise that we only need a hundred people to get to our theoretical maximum and then to have kick-ass customer service so we keep these people welded mm-hmm. onto us, then maybe they're all in the innovators and early adopters. Maybe we don't need to to cross the chasm. We don't, mm. because it's, it's in the crossing the chasm where clubs waste way too much time in their marketing in that shoot from the hip type approach. And it's unnecessary. You've probably got enough people in that tiny pointy end, the people who just get it, that if you can talk to them, the, the sales conversation with them, you go, oh yeah, I didn't know you guys existed. Yeah, I'm in. Boom. Yeah. Now we only need 99. I think the other point that we were touching on just a moment ago about the, you know, in the football club example, that, uh, um, shortfall being only 100 and them just needing to attract the 100 right people mm. I think is a really important thing to keep in mind, casting our mind back to previous episodes where we've talked about conflict and we've talked about people in organisations that don't believe what the organisation believes and the troubles that that can lead to and the disagreements, the conflicts, the grievances. So so every group of people is going to include at least one dickhead. head. <laughs> I think we need to acknowledge that. And Steve, we're a group of people. Is it you or is it me? Well, it's funny. Yeah, if you're in a <laughs> group that of people. oscillates between us, doesn't probably, it? Probably. Yeah, but that's the thing. If, if you're in a group of people and you don't know who the dickhead is, <laughs> it's probably you. <laughs> but if you attract the right people who believe what the organisation believes, I think that the likelihood that things are going to go pear-shaped in most instances should be lower than if you're attracting just everyone who isn't necessarily... You know, aligned with the purposes of your organization yep yep plus when you get connected to those right people there's a good chance that they know more people like them they know more of the right people and that's when social networking doesn't mean facebook insta Mm. tiktok social networking means that somebody that i'm connected to can connect with people that they're connected to that i'm not so my do a far better job of selling you than absolutely yes absolutely Oh, Steve, this has been a really interesting discussion. I love this one because it brings home the power. Of, you know, you were talking about strategic planning before and what we do when we do strategic planning is we try and limit the need for a big, long, wordy report that just sits on a shelf and gets dusty. It, it's about the picture that we can paint and it's that picture that connects to the right people. So our strategic planning posters, uh, they, they tell the emotive story of a club mm. and I, I just love them because they are so they are so powerful at connecting with the right people. So people who don't connect with it, it's okay. It's Mm. not for them. Come to peace with it. Let them go and spend your time focusing on the people that do matter. And I'm going to finish by talking about the Pareto principle. Seriously, 20% of your efforts are leading to 80% of your results. The other 80% of the marketing effort that you've been doing to try and cross the chasm is only filling up 20% of the slack. Cut it out and spend more time, an extra 5 or 10% of your time on marketing to the right people in the right place with the right messages and the right tools, like the strategic planning poster that tells our story on one page that connects with mum, it connects with dad, it connects with the, the, the players themselves, it connects with our officials, it connects with our coaches and it connects with grandparents and it connects with government, then those are our people. But the people who it doesn't connect with, let them go it's okay. And that is a very difficult message to get through, but it's exclusivity, baby. It is okay to be exclusive because then when you are inclusive, you're inclusive of exactly the right people. That's what's so important. So yeah, you can see how this all links to don't just do shoot from the hip marketing, but don't just do shoot from the hip planning. When you get drilled down to this level, it is amazingly powerful. So I hope you all enjoy that. Steve thank you very much for your time again today it's been thank you thank you for enlightening me and all of our listeners obviously if you're not connected with us with us on social media make sure you do and listen uh, go and see all of the cool stuff like this that we post up there uh sign up for our newsletter on the bottom of our website cprgroup.com.au big thank you to jess as usual for editing out the the crappy bits of this podcast that you didn't get to hear (laughs) that we may or may not add to some outtakes real in the future Yes, I'm going to go with probably not because, you know, I, I, I wouldn't want to put Jess through that. And Steve, uh, just like everybody else, I'll see you next time. I look forward to catching up soon. Thanks, Mick. See ya. Bye.